Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name's Glenn Fairburn and I co-host this program with Nathan Lear. We're both directors and private client advisors at Hewilson Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Uh, this week on the podcast, Nathan and I have a chat about the upcoming dividend payment period. Um, there's likely to be a bit of a bonanza for investors um, this time around with dividends scheduled to sort of increase almost 3% compared to a year ago. So we have a bit of a chat about the reasons why that's happening, um, but but also the importance of looking beyond dividend yield um, and, and not chasing past performers. Um, as always, please um, seek advice. This is all just of a general nature. Um, so before acting on anything that we talk about, please make sure you speak to your advisor. Uh, make sure you also check out our website, which is www.hewison.com.au. Um, hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors Podcast. Uh, Nathan, this time of the year, it's um, dividend payment period where companies sort of declare what dividends they're paying uh, for this uh, period of the year. Uh, it looks as though it's going to be a pretty bumper period for most companies, um, in particular a lot of the larger resource stocks that have sort of been driven by a lift in commodity prices. Um, a recent report uh, by Bloomberg is saying that companies in Australia are, look, are likely to declare about $27 billion um, Aussie dollars in dividends, which is 2.7% higher than last year. Um, and a large part of that comes down to BHP and Rio, which from that $27 billion tribute about $6.7 billion. So a massive increase in dividends from those particular companies. Um, but outside of the resource stocks, there's also some increases um, from a number of, of other companies in the ASX 200, um, largely companies like Commonwealth Bank, which is slightly increasing their dividend from $2.30 to $2.37. Um, CSL, which has been a bit of a market darling for a long period of time and has got a very strong track record of increasing dividends. They're going from 72 up to 87. Um, so there's definitely a lot of winners out of this and shareholders will be, will be pretty happy. Um, and it's interestingly that the Australian market has always been, I suppose, viewed as a, as a higher dividend paying market. Um, at the moment, we're the third highest dividend yielding market in, in the developed world, just slightly behind um, the UK and Sweden. Um, so I suppose just, just throwing to you, Nathan, just in relation to dividends, is it something for investors to be excited about? Is it something that they should be, um, I suppose, locking in for future years or, or should they really be mindful of the fact that in particular those companies whose earnings are largely impacted by outside forces, so companies like BHP and Rio, who I suppose are largely price takers in a market where commodities have, have risen quite considerably, um, should investors be a little bit cautious about that? Do you think? I think yeah. I think it's very important to understand. Uh, I guess how the income is derived from your portfolio. If we're talking about Australian shares in this in this podcast, uh, obviously the sustainability of the dividends are important. So if you had a portfolio full of resource companies, for example, that might not be necessarily the highest paying uh, shares, but they may be increasing from a year ago. Uh, one question as an investor in those companies you would need to ask yourself is how sustainable are those dividends? So I think, but that could apply to any you know, any company share investment you have, whether it's a you know, a bank, whether it's a resource company, whether it's Telstra, which has been 
well publicized recently, you really need to probably understand the uh, trajectory of those dividends over the past few years and probably once again, diversification we speak about a lot. Yeah. So you're not overly exposed to, to one sector. It can be a bit of a trap too, can't it? I mean, if you, you know, if you're sort of looking at these um, company performance figures on, on face value and you're looking to chase um, past year returns, that it can be a little bit of a trap. And Telstra is probably a good example where in a low interest rate environment, a lot of investors have been um, attracted to Telstra because traditionally it has paid a, high, a higher dividend. Um, but over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, they've, they've revised their dividend payment policy where they've gone from a period of paying out basically 100% of their profits to now I think they're sort of targeting around the 85% mark. So that together with cutting the dividend has seen, I think is about 30% drop in, in dividend for them yeah. from, from the height. So it, it can be a bit of a trap because what, what tends to happen is that when the company's performances are impacted by a change in market conditions um, or just change in, in policy or, or, or approach, um, companies who have been you know attractive to investors, their share prices tend to suffer quite a bit. And we've seen that with mm-hmm. Telstra as well. Um, and I suppose even companies like BHP and Rio that did have or that did alter their dividend payment policies about two years ago in what was a completely different market, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, whether commodity prices stay where they are. I know the price of iron ore has come off a bit, but I think it's just a danger that if you just focus on dividend yield and you're chasing companies whose um, dividends are increasing over the last 12 months, it it can be um, a little bit dangerous um, going forward, can't it? Definitely. And I think two stocks that um, we've mentioned today already, Telstra and CSL, an interesting study, which I've seen a few times, and it doesn't have to be Telstra and CSL, but you can basically pick a, a company with a high high dividend and a company with a lower growing dividend. And, and one example, which I just saw a moment ago, was, was Telstra and CSL. If you had have bought, um, for example, 20 years ago, Telstra shares and CSL shares, Yes, Telstra would have been paying you a high dividend on day one. It's called, I think, around 6%, call it, where CSL might have been 2%. So you're like, I'm going to invest in, if I want income, I'm going to invest in Telstra. They're paying yeah. a lot more. But over that period, Telstra's dividend has pretty much remained flat, more recently come down, where CSL's, although it started off a very low base, has been increasing each year. So if you just bought those shares and did nothing 20 years later, CSL is actually um, on your initial capital invested, CSL would be giving you a higher dividend yield. Yeah. So it, it just a, it's, I've seen that exercise a few times where it, it highlights the important, importance of a growing income stream. I think it's also one of those things where, you know, w- when you're looking at investing in shares and, and I, I've had a number of discussions with clients about dividend and, and I'm sure you have as well, where if you just look at dividend in isolation and, you, and you're comparing one company to the other, like your example, where, where it was Telstra versus Commonwealth Bank, when you're, um, I suppose, a less experienced investor and you don't understand a number of the different things to look for and you just look at the dividend yield, you know, in, in that example you were saying before, you're looking at Telstra's paying six and CSL's paying less than two. If that's all you're looking at, then you're saying, why would I want to invest in CSL and get a 2% dividend mm. where, you know, Telstra's paying me 6%. But that's where I, I try to explain to clients that you need to look beyond dividend per share and what I, what I really like to look at when I'm analyzing companies is, is the payout ratio. So that's basically the percentage of profits that a company is paying out in dividends. And in the case of Telstra, traditionally that's been 100%. So they've paid at 100% of their profits in dividends. Um, and the upside for investors is that you're getting a very strong cash flow. But the downside from a company perspective is that you're not leaving much on the table. You're not 
able to reinvest and grow your business. So that, that re- basically results in no dividend growth and, and very little share price growth, which has been the case for Telstra. Um, but you compare that with perhaps a lower dividend paying company and that doesn't mean that it's less profitable. It just means that it's paying out less of its profits in dividends. And as you were saying, in the case of CSL, they've been very successful in um, you know retaining a big proportion of their profits so they can reinvest in their business, reinvest in research and development, get new products and grow their business. Um, so that's where it is important to look just beyond dividend yield or, or interest return that you're getting on, on your shares um, and look at what the policy of the company is. I mean, you are putting a lot of faith in in management that you know by them retaining the profits that they're going to grow the business and do the right thing but i think that's where you really need the right balance between companies that are paying high dividends um, so that you get that cash flow now versus other companies that are basically saying to their shareholders look let me pay you a lower dividend now I'll hang on to some of that reinvest it so i can pay you a higher income in future and that's where you get that share price growth so i think it is you know a really important thing to look at yeah it's it's, it's very dangerous just to look at income or dividend yield in isolation and I think about if maybe two or three years ago if an investor in Australia just focused on dividend and they might have loaded up on Telstra we know that they've gone down a long way uh, even even banking shares although yeah. you know we're not saying there's anything wrong with banking shares but um, the share prices have fallen um, yeah so it's just, it's just dangerous just to look at dividend yield you really need to uh, I guess build a, a diversified portfolio and um, maybe have some exposure to some 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 more growth-orientated companies, i.e., a CSL, where they might pay a, a lower dividend yield, but it's a growing, it's a it's more of a growth company. So, hopefully, the share price a grows in value, but then also their dividends um, will also grow in value as well. Yeah, and I, we've spoken a, a lot about delayed gratification, and that's effectively what it is, isn't it? You, you're foregoing income now for perhaps greater income in future. Um, and I suppose one of the one of the perfect or best examples of of looking beyond dividend yield is Berkshire Hathaway, so Warren Buffett's company, probably one of the most successful investments um, through through modern history. Never paid a dividend, and I mean his his approach or his philosophy is that if I pay you a dividend, you're just going to waste it, and or if if you're investing it, you're probably not going to invest it as well as me. So you're better off leaving it in my hands, living it within Berkshire Hathaway. I'll reinvest it and get a better return than what you can. Mm. So I suppose that's probably one of the better examples of. You know, having um, well, looking beyond dividend yield because if, if that was the case, you'd never would have invested in Berkshire Hathaway in the last fifty years, where it's done really, really well. Yeah, yeah, he's compounded twenty circa twenty percent per annum for for many, many years now. So yeah, rather than pay out, um, yeah, as as you just said, pay out a, a dividend where you'll spend it or do something silly with it. Just keep it invested, then that, they'll compound that return at twenty percent. Then when you do need to make a withdrawal, you can just sell stock. I think that's that's what he says to his investors. Yeah, to sell yeah, shares exactly, and it's quite often that's where management might buy back if they've got excess cash in their balance sheet. That they might they might buy back some of their shares, and and I suppose the advantage of that for shareholders um, is that there's less shares on the market. So when when the when the company's splitting their profits amongst all their shareholders, there's less shareholders to split it with. So effectively, your earnings per share goes up, which makes the company more attractive. Um, and as, as I was saying before, I mean, Australia is generally viewed as one of the higher dividend-paying markets. Um, ours is sort of upwards of 4% per annum. But you compare that with other markets around the world, like the US and Japan are both, both below 2%. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're 
worst markets. And then the US in particular, I mean, has been proven that it's, um, you know, a, a, has been a better performing market in the last sort of couple of years. Uh, but I suppose that's where the tax regime impacts that as well, doesn't it? Because um, I suppose in Australia, we've gotten very used to companies paying us higher dividends and we probably pay a premium for that. Whereas in countries like the US, where there's probably um, not, not a similar tax regime, people are probably more inclined to demand capital growth, aren't they? And that's, they suppose, just get used to not, either not getting a dividend or, 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 or getting lower dividends. Um, and I suppose on that, that, that's where within Australia, I suppose there's been a lot of discussion about the franking credit system as well hmm. um, and how that might impact dividends. Um, do, do you think that's something that will be a focus for investors in, in this period or is it still pretty speculative with, you know, the government hasn't, well, the opposition hasn't got in yet and they've still got to get it through parliament. Is that something that I, I suppose will possibly lead to companies taking a closer look at their dividends, maybe changing their, their strategies, do you think? Yeah, look, possibly. It, it, it is hard to know how, how that will play out because there is a, a lot's got to happen before that policy does get through. And I think investors will need to, to reassess. I mean, we've, I've had discussions with quite a few clients where uh, they've had a look at the, the income, income impact. If, if yeah. they do lose, let's say they're in a, a super fund and they're paying zero tax. So um, basically, it's a big hit to, to their income. It could be you know, several thousands of dollars of, of less income. So, so they might need to have a think about, the investor might need to have a think about, do they restructure their investments to maintain a bit of income or do they just, yeah. do they cop the hit? And just to explain income? that to our listeners, the franking credit system in Australia, basically what that um, provides is a tax credit um, on the dividends that you receive. So if you have a company that's generating a profit and let's just say that's $100 and the company tax rate circa 30%, what that means is that when the company pays you a dividend, you get a credit for the for the tax that the companies have already paid. So effectively, you've already paid 30% tax on your dividend before you receive it. So if you're on a lower tax rate um, up until now and, and, and going forward, you do get a refund of that excess tax credit, which can be very, very beneficial, as you were saying, Nathan, for in particular superannuation funds that a lot of them are in a 0% tax environment. So under the franking credit system, they get a full refund of the tax that the companies have paid on, on their profits. Um, and, and largely, if that doesn't exist, it, it almost means that, uh, in particular, when a fund is in pension phase, they're 30% worse off investing in shares, perhaps, than investing in, in property. So there are implications around that. Um, and, and only time will tell to see how that, how that plays out. Um, and, and you wonder whether that will have implications on company strategies where they might sort of pay less of a dividend and reinvest in their business to perhaps get more growth. I suppose only time will tell. It, it would have definitely led itself towards companies being incentivized to pay high, higher income. I mean, yeah. there would be demand from, I guess, the market investors to, to pay high, higher income because it is a bit of a free kick, the franking credits. But I think it, when, we're talking, when you're talking about before, Glenn, the you know, Australian market, the US market, I think it is important very important for investors to remember the total return because you, know, yeah. you can have a you know let's let's say the american market they're paying two percent in dividends um and getting a 10 percent capital return well that's a 12 percent return yeah but the australian market might be paying five percent in dividends and and five percent in growth that's, that's right 10 percent yeah. total return what would you rather invest in it's almost the same outcome isn't it if you're reinvesting the income it's it's very similar yeah well yeah i think total return is important and probably where the decision can be a bit trickier for a lot of uh, investors is well they, they need the income now 
it's just it's easier if a company's paying out a dividend stream where under the Warren Buffett model, for example, where you know you might leave the money invested in the company, but you have to sell out. Um, yeah. And the dangerous thing there is if if, if you sell at the wrong time, um, you, know, you might make a call to sell some shares, uh, or you might need your money that money to fund your cash flow needs, and the market might have had a twenty percent correction, and you, know, you don't want to sell them at a twenty percent loss or twenty percent fall. Um, whereas if it's dividends, it's just you, it's almost set and forget. You can just invest your sum of money. And just live off the dividends. It's 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 a bit easier. And the advantage of dividends, um, as they flow through, is it, it enables you to to rebalance your portfolio, doesn't it? Assuming that you're not you don't need to spend the cash flow. If those dividends are coming through, it means that you can ensure that you're not becoming overly exposed to shares. Because if, for example, you've got higher share price growth or or, or automatic dividend reinvestment on your shares, it can result in you having a higher allocation to shares, which can be a good thing in a rising market, but I think one of the other advantages of the shares is you can dollar cost average into the market as well, can't you? So it just gives you the cash flow to either rebalance into other asset classes, so fixed interest, property, whatever it may be, um, but also perhaps dollar cost average into some of your existing existing shares. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to chat about there? No, I, I think I mentioned diversification before, but I'm really, I think we're big on as a company, I'm personally big on just, just spreading the risk around. So... Um, you know, di- different different sectors will go through you know success and failures at different times. So, have a good exposure to um, you know whether it's financials, healthcare, telcos. Like just just spread it all around because you know we've seen telcos maybe for example Telstra is the obvious one come under a bit of pressure, but there might be another sector where they're increasing dividends. So yeah. you know one falls, one rises. So that's he- the old hedging your bets type of uh, philosophy there. Yeah, and look to rehash what we've spoken about. I think as you were saying, it's definitely about risk management diversifying your portfolio across different sectors so that when you're going through phases where perhaps one sector is cutting dividends, you've got others that are increasing. Um, but I think also the key message through this period where dividends are strong, there can be the temptation to try and make too many changes with your portfolio and, and jump around too much. I think that's where you know we would strongly encourage people to look, look beyond dividend, um, where, where you're looking at companies that may perhaps pay lower dividend now, but there's a potential for more share price growth and higher dividends in future, um, but but also looking, you know, to have a portfolio that's got a, the right balance between those that are paying lower income now and higher income. So you still, on average, you're still getting a good income return or good dividend yield, um, but you're not being too heavily exposed to high yielding stocks, which may not have any share price growth and then you know if they cut their dividend we we, we know what's going to happen to the share price yeah i was just going to say especially with increasing uh, interest rates or you know a, a likelihood of increasing interest rates um you know quite often money will flow out of the higher dividend paying stocks like the, the bond what are called the bond proxies so i mean if you loaded up a high high yield high dividend portfolio mm. uh, their capital if interest rates did did rise sharply, there there is a risk that the capital of of that portfolio of shares could could, could come under pressure. So, and, and that's because you know just, just with that particular example, in a in a falling interest rate environment, that's where people, I suppose, look at their portfolio and they're more um, inclined to or probably forced to take higher risk to get a higher income return. So they they do I suppose target those high yielding stocks. But then as interest rates start to increase, that risk trade off becomes less, doesn't it? So the yeah the income gap between a high-yielding stock and perhaps a government bond becomes less. So people are thinking, well, I'm not going to take this much more risk for only a little bit more return now. So that's where, as you were saying, they switch back from shares to bonds. So it can right. have a negative impact on those share prices. 
yeah, definitely th- there could be a reallocation back to you know, more fixed income type securities as if, if interest rates do do rise, which is probably the next move for them. Hard, hard to say, but yeah, so something to keep in mind for investors. Yeah, definitely. Look, on, on that note, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Hope you all found that informative. Um, look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.